Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. I remember uh, when I was a kid, there was a Christian uh, group who... uh, said at one point, if that doesn't get your uh, fire started, your wood must be wet. Um, and I think that that is true. Um, we serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. Let's be a little more convinced of that. Do we serve an awesome God or what? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we are, we've wrapped up our series on grace, and we are starting into, um, this is kind of our getting ourselves the prime or the pump primed a little bit as we prepare for a season of Lent. And so um, this is the beginning of our these 40 days, which actually the 40 days will start this Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service. Um, but this morning, we would love for you to turn to those that are around you this morning. And I want you to share when you think of the word sacrifice, what comes to mind? Ready, set, go. thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. When I think of sacrifice um, in my own life, and laugh if you will, but here's, my, here's where I think of. I think of when I was little, and maybe you've heard the story before, but when I was little, um, we had a dog named Taffy. I wish I had a picture of Taffy because I tell the story to people frequently, and I just wish I had a story to show how cute she was. She was like, I told Jeremy, this is going to sound really mean, she's like the happy version of our dog now, Bella. Um, <laughs> Bella's not a happy dog. And so, like, people come over and they're like, I had no idea you even had a dog. And I'm like, I know, because she's not nice. We put her away when people are here. So, um, so she's the happy version of Bella. She was cute and little and nice and happy to see people. And I loved Taffy. I, lo- I couldn't wait to get home and spend time with Taffy at the end of the day. Well, um, I was about five years old and um, maybe four And Taffy, I remember coming home one day, and my mom and dad sat us down and told us we had to get rid of Taffy. And I was like, what? Like, we hadn't had her that long. And I loved this dog. And my mom was like, but we have to get rid of the dog. And she's like, but I have good news. You're going to have a little brother. And I was like, but I want Taffy. (laughs) 
I don't want a little brother. I wanted to keep Taffy. And so I just didn't understand. I mean, come to find out, as I've gotten older, I understand, my mom was allergic to the dog. And so when she was pregnant, she needed to be healthy. Okay, I get that, but really, we have to get rid of the dog? Like, it was such a sacrifice for me at four years old to have to give up Taffy, my cute, sweet little dog. It was, I was heartbroken. Taffy was the sister to Candy, who was my grandparents' dog. And I got to see Candy growing up, so I guess that made up for it. But I got the little brother. We, my mom was like, you have, a, you have a choice. You can give up the dog or, and I was like, or, and she was like, you're giving up the dog. Okay. So anyway, that was sacrifice to me. Um, and, you know, we, that seems funny now, but really in my mind as a four-year-old, that was a big sacrifice to give up my dog. I didn't, I mean, yeah, anyway. Um, the word sacrifice it probably means different things to us, right? If we were to go around this room and share what sacrifice means, it means different things. And then when I consider my sacrifice or other things that I've sacrificed in my life, um, in light of what the, where the Bible shares about Abraham asks, or God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I'm like, okay, God, you asking me to sacrifice social media or whatever it is, is nothing in comparison to Isaac having to be sacrificed and, and, and Abraham being willing to say, I'll go so far as to do it. Obviously, we know the rest of the story. He doesn't have to sacrifice him, but God wants to see, are you willing to give up this thing that I've asked of you? And so sacrifice might look different to, to each one of us. And when we compare our sacrifices, we might think, oh, um, mine is nothing in comparison to that person's. It doesn't matter what the sacrifice is. Your sacrifice matters, okay? Um, when we sacrifice, we're giving something up because we value something else more, um, because we consider it more important or worthy. This morning, we're talking about Lent and a season of giving something up um, for the sake of Christ. Sometimes what we give up is something that we highly value. Sometimes what we give up is something that's just cluttering and taking up space. And sometimes what we give up is totally destructive in our life. Um, our willingness to surrender a possession or habit or time or food uh, for the sake of growing closer to the Lord is one of those ways that we sacrifice for him. So this morning, we tell us a little bit, what is Lent? Yeah. What is this thing that we call Lent? So Lent is a time in the church calendar, uh, in, a, in a cycle of what we do uh, on, a, on a yearly basis, where we give our full attention to that season in Jesus' life between his baptism and his calling of the disciples where he was sent to the desert, to the wilderness, to prepare. And that preparation looked like fasting. It looked like um, getting to a place where he recognizes the things that he ultimately desperately needs. Here, here are the words of, in Mark's gospel. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give account of this time in Jesus' life. And as a church, as followers of Christ, one of the things that is important for us to do is to identify with Christ. And one of the ways we do that is in the season of Lent, we kind of step into the scene to where we can kind of try to identify with what Jesus dealt with in the wilderness during that season. 
It just so happens that Lent is 40 days. It, it takes place uh, beginning on Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday, where we will gather together with the uh, three other borough churches, and we will have a service of, of worship, of scripture, and we will enter into this season of preparation, of fasting. It will go all the way to Easter when we will break that fast. A couple very interesting things about Lent, and they're hilarious to me. One of them is not as hilarious as the other. But uh, Sundays uh, for, for Christians are always days of resurrection. When we gather together as the church on Sunday, we are always gathering because of the power of the resurrection. And so for us, our attention on Sundays is always about celebration. It's all about resurrection. And so during their season of Lent, we fast um, for six days and we celebrate on the, the seventh. So for some of you, and this is really good news for some of you, uh, you're going to give up something. Uh, you decided to do that. But the thing that even makes you interested in going down this road is you get to celebrate once, once a week. So you're going to fast something, but on that Sunday, you're going to kind of, you know, you know, make up for lost time, maybe. Um, but the other thing is that um, usually in the life of the church, uh, th- this coming Tuesday is actually a part of that, and it's called, anyone know? Fat Tuesday, where people kind of just splurge before they enter into a time of, of, of fasting. I find that interesting and awkward and um, just interesting because I don't know if, if that's the best way to do this. You know, we're just going to gorge ourselves uh, enough that we can kind of coast through 40 days of fasting. I, I think the, the posture of putting things aside in our lives so that we can be better positioned to receive more of God, to me, that's something that we're called to do every day. But specifically during the season of Lent, we as a church want to think about what do we need to do to put aside things in our life so that we might be able to concentrate more fully on what God might want to do in our life. So Lent has been around officially since 325 AD. The Council of Nicaea started this whole thing as, you know, we're going to make this official. Um, And some would say, well, see, that's pre-Reformation. Therefore, us Protestants don't abide by that. But then where do you draw the line at what we want to observe and what we don't? Folks, can I just say this? At the heart of Lent is a people hungry for Jesus above all else. So this coming, you know, six and a half, seven weeks, can we intentionally kind of make some adjustments in our life so that we can live in to what God wants to do in our life? Amen. Can we do that? No one can do it. All right. There we go. So let's get into the word. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 6. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great or such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. 
Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And, you, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So this morning, as I, well, as I worked through this passage, you know, the first question I think that comes to mind is, what is a cloud of witnesses? Um, last summer, I was ordained, and I, I remembered hearing about this, um, this moment of ordination where, where you kneel before the, the person who's ordaining you, and they, they lay their hands on, their he- on your head, and I remember the that I'd heard pastors before say that in that moment of ordination, it was as if the hands of the person who was laying their hands on their head were heavier than normal because the weight of those hands that were ordaining me in that that moment, the weight of the hands of Dr. Busick who was ordaining me were heavier than normal because his hands represented those who had gone before. His hands represented all of those in the faith who said, it is not just Dr. Busick ordaining me, it is the representative hands of of God and the great cloud of witnesses laying hands on me saying, "You're, you're following in the footsteps of those who've gone before you. And I, you know, the great cloud of witnesses isn't just something for those who are being ordained. It's not just, they're not just looking over me as a pastor. That cloud of witnesses is for every single one of us. We're surrounded by saints of the past in a unique way. It's not that the faithful who have gone before us are spectators to the race we run necessarily. Rather, it's a figurative representation and a means that we ought to act as if they were in sight and cheering us on to the same victory in the life of faith that they obtained. We're to be inspired by godly examples that these saints set during their lives. These are those whose past lives of faith encourage others to live that way too. That cloud is referred to as great. It indicates the millions of believers who have gone before you and I, each one bearing witness to the life of faith that we now live. Without thinking much, turn to your neighbor for just a quick second and tell them the first person other than Jesus that comes to your mind when you think of a great cloud of witness. Go. All right. Um, this morning, I have, I have this basket. I have this, um, my TV screen, and I've got a basket here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of bulky and kind of messy, right? And I've got, there's all kinds of things in here. And it, as I, I, I'm not a runner by any means. I am not the runner of our household. That would be all the males in our household. Reagan and I, we sprint and then we're done. Um, but, even if I were a runner, uh, it would be really hard to run with all of these things in my hands, right? Um, they would trap me. They would, I would no doubt trip. I would not be able to see the ground in front of me very well. Um, they're heavy. They kind of get in the way. Uh, and they make it really, really hard to run a race. I could not go out and run a marathon. Could you run a marathon with all this in your hands? I would not want to do that. No. It's digging into my hands, and I've only had it in my hands for not even 60 seconds yet. Um, it's hard to hold on to all of this excess. 
And yet, in our lives, that's what we do when we're trying to run a race. When we are trying to run the race of, of Christian faith, we do this. Um, we have, you know, distractions. We have things that, that attach to us. Things like television, computer screen, whatever you want that to be. Things like, I put laundry here because, honestly, um, household chores for me can be one of those things that can make me feel guilty and get in the way of, of some other things in life. Um, and sometimes it's okay to let those things go. I've had to learn that over the years. Uh, this, time sucker, number one. Uh, computer, work, things that I have to do. Um, how many of you can say this gets in the way of running the race that you have to run? Yeah, some of us it's like we need a 25 pound bag because that really depicts something in our lives. And then right here I have, because this is what I don't want to tell you is in here. And we probably all have this kind of an envelope that nobody can know what's in there. But that thing holds me down from running the race that God has set before me. And that's what happens, you know. And, and this is, the passage is saying, let us strip off the things that so easily entangle us. Uh, I remember years ago, Jeremy and I made a video for this passage of scripture. We started at our house and we ran to the church and we videotaped what it looks like to strip off. We had great jumpsuits on and Rylan was an infant and to, to, dis, dis, for, to help people understand, we literally took layers off. So I threw, like we were layered with all kinds of things. I had an ironing board and I threw it on the curb and we kept on running. It, now let me clarify, it was only like a mile and a half to the church. Um, but like I threw off an ironing board and then I threw off a laundry basket. And then you see the video camera and there's Rylan laying on the curb on the side of the road. We left him laying there too. And people are like, oh my gosh, did you? And we're like, no, we filmed it and picked him right back up. Don't worry. So, but we went through this to talk about sometimes we have to set things aside to run the race that God has set before us, even good things. And, uh, you know, it, it can get really weird sometimes too when, when we set these things aside. Running's not an easy task, but we get weighed down and running becomes difficult. And it's the same is true of our spiritual journey. Um, we run with endur endurance by staying focused. How many of you have ever seen someone walking across the street or in, across the parking lot and they're like this? They're like walking out into the parking lot and they never look up. It amazes us. We just saw this the other day. This girl walked out into the street, literally crossing the street looking at her phone. We're turning and she's not even looking up. And I'm like, holy cow, she's not almost got hit by a car because she wasn't looking up. She hadn't taken the time to maybe put her phone away. Had she put her phone away, she probably would have been a lot safer. I've seen people run into cars with, because they're on their phone and they literally like walk right into the car because they're just not paying attention. And I think the same can be said of us in our, in our spiritual life. Sometimes we need to put some of these things away in order to focus on God right in front of us. I can be so busy holding on to all these things and doing these. Some of these things are good things, right? Folding laundry and washing it once in a while is a good thing. We like to have clean clothes. But the reality is, sometimes that laundry needs to stay in a basket, and I need to pick this up instead. But how many times does that get left on a table growing dust because we're too busy with all of this other stuff? Not all that stuff is bad stuff, but sometimes it occupies all of our time. And then, of course, there's our shh envelope that we don't want anybody to know. Maybe it's a suitcase because it's so big. But the reality is we have those things in our life that we need to move those things away. 
Um, growing up, my dad was pretty strict. I loved my dad. Um, my dad had a booming voice. My dad would walk into the elementary school that I went through, that I grew up in, and it was at the church that we grew up. It was a Christian school. And my dad would walk through the hallway, and I could hear him, morning! And it was like, oh, there's my dad. Like, we knew it. Um, my dad would whistle. He had a whistle like none other. And we would be across the neighborhood, and I would hear the whistle and go, got to go home. Dad whistled. It was time to go. And you didn't wait. You didn't wait for the second whistle, because if he got to the second whistle, you were in trouble when you got home. You made it home as quickly as you can with whistle number one. Um, my dad was strict, and we knew it. My brothers and I, he disciplined us. He wasn't like a pushover, um, but when my dad would punish me for something, um, I really, he didn't ever have to punish me. He would come into the room to talk to me, and I'd be in tears. I'm sorry. I, like, I'm telling him what I did before he even asks me what I did because I knew that I was, I knew I was being punished, but I was heartbroken that I was disappointing my dad. And I would, literally, I think I would punish myself over, with my own nerves before I ever got to my dad. But one of the things, and you know, my brothers didn't necessarily get taken to tears. In fact, I remember my brother laughed at my dad one time. Don't, don't do that. Don't laugh at your parents when they're punishing you. It's, it's just bad. Anyway, um, so, but I, I, they didn't necessarily get brought to tears, but I know that they respected the discipline of my mom and dad most of the time. Um, and one of the reasons that we respected the discipline of our parents because, was because when they would finish disciplining us, they would sit us back down and tell us how much they loved us. They didn't like to discipline us. We didn't like to be disciplined. It didn't feel good for either one of us. I remember times as parents where I was in the other room crying because of disciplining our kids because I hated doing it. But they learned from those things. And so sometimes we have to discipline those that we love. Um, and so talk to us a little bit more about what disciplining those that we love. Looks yeah. Like. Verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? You know, that's a great question. Um, and I think in our culture today, there may be more children who have never encountered discipline than maybe in seasons past. Um, and some of those who have been disciplined by a parent, it has looked more like abuse than discipline, which gives discipline a horrible name. Mm. Uh, the difference between uh, discipline and abuse is this. The one who disciplines has the best interest of the one they are disciplined disciplining in mind whereas the one who abuses has little to no regard for the one being abused huge difference one has the goal in mind that they want to see the best in someone else in the other case they really don't care there's something else fueling that Sometimes what fuels abuse is self-centeredness. Uh, other times it might be a drunken or drug-induced rage. Sometimes I think abuse happens because that's the only thing someone knows. They're simply doing what was done to them, and that's all they know. But discipline is supposed to look like loving direction given by a loving parent who wants their child to encounter the fullness of God in their life. And sometimes discipline looks like no. And sometimes saying no, parents, is tough, right? Kids, 
let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked your parents why they make the decisions they do regarding you? I mean, but have you ever asked it in such a way that your parents truly know and understand that your, atten your intentions are good ones? Not because you're trying to fight their discipline. Have you ever asked them, Dad, Mom, what do you see that I'm not seeing? Have you ever asked them that? Have you ever engaged them in conversation about that? Church, have you ever asked God that question? God, what do you see that I'm not seeing? God, help me see what you see. Help me to trust you. Help me to understand. Verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Who wants to be an illegitimate child? Church, do you want to be God's child? Maybe you prefer to be more of an observer or a bystander. Maybe you want to set yourself up close enough to God so that you can benefit uh, from what God has for you when you want it, but close enough that you can ignore God when you don't want what God has for you. Around real life, the life that God calls us to live is, is what we call the sanctified life. The life where you trust God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your relationships, all of your emotions, all of you. You feel every single part of you is surrendered to God. The word illegitimate here, I looked it up. I like looking up words that are kind of like the big words in a sentence or words that strike me as interesting or odd. This, is, this illegitimate word is a word that I looked up. And another word that you could use to um, interpret the Greek word here is the word bastard, which is not a word that brings the ideas of comfort. It brings with it um, sounds of neglect and betrayal and unworthiness and, and uh, just illegitimacy. But it's a word that just is harsh. It's it's. You don't even want to say it because it's so harsh. That is not what God wants us to be. He does not want us to be illegitimate. He does not want us to be bastards. And in our, in, in, among humanity, uh, you don't get to choose whether you are illegitimate or not. That is a choice chosen for you and kind of reiterated in you by other people. You, know, you are that child. But what God wants for us, in our relationship with God, th things are a little different. The only way for you to be considered an illegitimate child of God, a, you know, that word, is if you choose to step out of what God wants for you and reject God. That is not something that God will ever choose for you. God loves you immensely. God loves you more than you will ever love yourself. God wants the best for you. And so for you to be illegitimate means that you have decided to turn your back on all that God has for you. God doesn't discipline you because you are illegitimate. God disciplines you for the exact opposite reason. God loves you and wants the best for you. Verse 9, since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? 
do you respect your earthly father? This is for everyone. Everyone in here has an earthly father in some way, shape, or form. They may be in your home. They may be out of your home. They may be with us today. They may have gone on before us. But do you respect your earthly father? And I'm going to throw in mother here as well. If you want to practice respecting God in your life, practice on your dad and on your mom. Kids, and that's all of us in here, the way we treat our parents has a direct correlation with how we see our Father in heaven. So if you want to say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate my parents, that that doesn't work. I, I want to worship God, but I want to disrespect my parents. That doesn't work. You can't have both of those. They're different. In, in, in times of chaos, let me encourage us as parents to be people who demand respect because we are their parents. But let me also suggest this. We also have to recognize that there are times when we as parents need to humble ourselves before our kids. Now, there may be some older generations that, have a, that may want to take issue with me on this one. But I love the passage of Scripture that says, parents, do not exasperate your children. And I, I think there are times when we can do that. When we push their buttons, and we, we, we kind of, do we do so under the auspices of, well, I'm the parent. But folks, the best relationships that we can have in our homes is when parents and kids respect each other and kids recognize that mom and dad have an awesome responsibility for me and I am going to trust them with my life even when I don't understand it. Even when I want to do something but mom and dad say no, I'm going to say I will trust that my parents know better. Verse 10 For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Discipline enables us to share in the holiness of God. Holiness or discipline. Discipline points us in the direction of the God who is holy. And, and God's discipline in our life is such that his sole desire is that you would be able to experience that sanctified life that he has for you, that life of holiness. The, the word discipline here should paint the picture of what happens between a parent and their child as they're raising them from infancy to maturity. From the child's perspective, we moan and we groan and we think that our parents are no fun and they won't let us do anything. From the parent's perspective, however, we understand the overwhelming responsibility to do whatever we can to raise the child to be self-sufficient, but also Jesus-dependent. We want our kids to be able to thrive on their own. We want them to be able to move out of the house. We want them to be able to get a job. We want them to be able to have relationships. We want them to have all these things, but not on their own terms. All of these things we want them to have because they are Jesus-dependent. Children in the room, do you think it is possible that your parents may have a perspective for you that you don't have access to? As a child, I've been one, I am one. As a parent, I am one. I know that the answer to that question is yes. Think about what 
is said when a pastor dedicates a child. Parents come to the front of a, of a sanctuary, they bring their, their newborn baby, and they, they want to dedicate that child to the Lord. Here are the words that I say when they do that. I challenge the parents, and I also challenge the church, that they would, A, teach, uh, teach your child early to love and honor God with their lives. Watch over their education, that they would not be led astray. Direct their feet to the sanctuary. Restrain them from those things that would draw them away from following Christ in as much as possible. And to bring them up in the care and instruction of the Lord. People, that is a huge responsibility for parents when they bring their kids to God. And there are times when I've had to have a conversation with a parent. Hey, remember, you left them in God's hands. Things are going crazy right now in your home. But remember, God's got them. What the author of Hebrews is wanting us to see is that all, that we, that we all are children of God the Father. As all of us try to do for our children, God does for us. And sometimes that looks like saying no. Sometimes it looks like saying yes. And other times, asking our children to trust that we know what's best for them. But in all these things, there will be times when our children want the exact opposite of what we parents know is best for them. We want the best life for our kids. And from God's perspective, God wants us to share in his holiness, which means that there will be times when God will say no to you. Even though you think you know what God should do, there are times when God will say yes to you. There will be times when God says, will you just trust me that I know what is best for you? And this discipline that sometimes looks like a no means that I love you more than you could ever imagine. There will be times when we children want the opposite. Let us be people who learn not just to trust our parents, but also God, that God would know best. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, <laughs> but afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. There's a lot here that we could unpack. Um, uh, just a ton of stuff. But let me just say this. Don't let what you perceive as struggle to be misunderstood as failure or rejection. You may not enjoy discipline, but what it produces is worth sticking with it for. And I have found something to be true in my own life. The more I understand the goal, the goal of discipline, the goal of my parents' parenting, the easier it is to embrace the good thing. So what do we do with this? Well, during Lent, we are a people who choose discipline. We choose to say no to certain things in our lives. And probably also we say yes to certain things in our lives, all for the express purpose of, of arriving in that place where we are best ready to receive what God has for us. 
maybe some of you have fasted for Lent in the past. Maybe some of you have not. But we as your pastors want to invite you to join us during Lent in a fast. Now, traditionally, uh, fasts are usually food. You give up food of some sort. And uh, there's also a temptation here to say, oh, this is a great season to, like, lose some weight. <laughs> well, I think by weight, if we mean baggage, I think that's a good thing. But it's, it, most times it's, it's food. But I want to encourage you maybe to choose some other things in your life. Those things in your life that have way too much of your attention. The things that steal your opportunities of getting on your face before God. What are those things? It might be food. Because it's the thing that we give up that, that in those moments are like, oh gosh, I would really like a sweet tea right now. We ask ourselves, yeah, do you ever want Jesus that much? But I also want to invite you to this. Maybe, just maybe this Lent, you want to add something to your life. You want to say, you know, this these six, seven weeks, I want to be intentional about writing um, a, a note a day, sending an email a day, a text that is simply there to encourage someone. Maybe you want to add that to your life. And when you are in the midst of your day, you're like, gosh, I just don't have time to do that. And you can say, yeah, that sounds a whole lot like the excuse I give to God sometimes, too. It's about being intentional, where we say, I choose during this season to practice the patterns of Lent in my life so that we might better be focused on the God who is gracious beyond imagination. So what's that going to be for you? We want to ask you to share your fasting item with us. Um, if you want to keep that you know, between us, that's fine. I would love just to share with the entire congregation the things that people have decided to give up. So we want to invite you between now and Wednesday night to share with us what you have decided that you're going to give up so that you might gain more of Christ. This may be tough for some of us. And we might get into the season of Lent. We're like, oh, fell off the wagon here. Can I just remind you? Uh, can you just hold on to it for like six days? Celebrate on, on Sunday? I, I think Sunday's a gift to us. Where we can like get through six days, celebrate on the, on the seventh. But maybe, just maybe, you want to say, I'm going to do it 40 days straight. I have loved the stories of what people in our ministry have given up during Lent. And I just think that as we do, as we fast and pray, that God hears our prayers and answers us deeply. So will you join us? Christy and I are going to do it. And I, I just know that you, the Real Life family, have things that you want to kind of get out of the way because you want more of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, giving up things, um, I once heard that it takes uh, like 30 days of, of intentional doing something to, for it to become a habit. And maybe uh, this season of 40 days of giving something up becomes a habit that sticks beyond those 40 days. Um, 
and whatever it is, maybe it is you need to shut this off um, and put it away. Maybe it's that you need to throw this out. Maybe it's setting this stuff aside um, to be intentional. And maybe it's just saying, God, I don't, I don't want my shh anymore. Whatever it is, um, will you give it up? Will you surrender it for a season that maybe becomes permanent? Um, bow your heads with me this morning. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your discipline. It seems like a weird thing for us to say thank you for, but God, we do thank you for your discipline. We thank you that you love us enough to call out our junk sometimes. And so over the next couple of days, I pray that uh, those in this room and those online and those maybe have, who haven't even heard our message yet, God, that you will press on their hearts um, just that thing that they will know without a shadow of a doubt that, that is, that's that thing that you want them to set aside. It's that thing that's weighing them down. And God, I pray that you would help them to choose to say, I'm going I'm to set this down. I don't need this right now. I have a race that's been marked out before me, and I know that I can run this race better if I don't have that dragging me down. And God, we might find ourselves in the midst of this 40 days a little cranky because of something we've given up, but God, would we remind ourselves that you may have been a little cranky when you were being beaten to die on the cross for us, but you went through with it anyway. Your sacrifice for us was greater than anything we could ever sacrifice for you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go through these next days, that you would give us strength. But God, in the midst of, of what we give up, would you pour yourself into us in a new and a fresh way? Would you give us more of you in the areas where we used to clutter ourselves with other things? Would you move into the corners of our heart and the recesses of our, of our lives where you've never had space before? because we willingly choose to give something up. God, you're bigger than anything we choose to give up. And you promise to be with us. And you promise that you'll give us your strength in our weakness. And so, Lord God, I pray for your strength in our weakness over the next 40 days. Go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me this morning. As you prepare for this season of Lent, it's my prayer that you would open your hands like they are right now, that you would open your hands. You know, we open our hands to receive a blessing, but my prayer is that you would take your hands and say, God, here it is, willingly. And that as you do that, as you give that up willingly, whatever it is, that you would be filled in abundance with the blessings of the Lord, that you would be filled in abundance with his presence in your life. And that as you do that, that you would bless all that are around you. Until we meet again, have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you'd like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org slash give. Thanks again for listening.